Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. He's going to be talking about what it's like to run a municipality's IT, and he's going to talk about some of his passions. First up in tech news this week, a orthopedic practice out of Texas called Fondren Orthopedic Group announced that they were a victim of a malware incident. They didn't give any specifics about whether it was ransomware or some type of other attack, but they did say that they had certain patient records permanently damaged. So if you think about not being able to access those records, that is definitely an issue. Also, another story related to ransomware, the Doppelpamer gang, which I talked about a couple months back, they're the ones who are behind some of the known ransomware attacks against cities, they're now threatening to unload their data onto the dark net. And that's because they just want to get more ransom out of individuals and cities. And so they're saying that they've got a bunch of very sensitive information. So just be aware of that. The European Union just announced that they're going to back off on trying to ban facial recognition. Uh, We had some talk that they were going to try to do a five-year temporary ban on any facial recognition being used in their societies. Uh, They actually cited that it would be very impractical because the technology changes so quickly that even if they were to put in a ban, things would change and there'd be a new technology that they'd have to stop. It does go to show you that technology advances very quickly and no matter the best efforts of a government to try to control it, uh, things will still get out of hand. YouTube announced that they are going to proactively stop the spread of election disinformation. They're going to put in some modeling that says certain content is probably quote-unquote fake news or is um, being purely contrived to make other parties look bad. Twitter also announced that they had an API flaw, which is the connectivity between applications, and that because of the flaw, they might have unmasked users who wanted to be anonymous because the flaw would expose phone numbers. So if you had the phone number, then you could potentially know exactly who the user is. And the last news of the week, Nintendo had been hacked and the hacker was just sentenced to time, actually a 20-year sentence because he was guilty of some other things. But the hacking tactics was that he actually convinced internal employees of Nintendo to give up personal account information for the company in order to gain access and steal information on Nintendo. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo right here in California. Welcome back, John. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, John, I think it's great that you're here uh, with chief information officers of municipalities and counties. I wanted to know, how did you get into that? Uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, I've been in the field a while, 
And uh, I get invited to speak. Sometimes I go to schools, you know, and people ask me, how do you become a CIO? How do you become, you know, interested in government and things like that? Uh, I moved around a lot as a kid. My dad was in the military. So like most military kids, we moved around every few years. But uh, when he settled down, uh, I kept going south and then ended up in the west uh, down in Southern California. Um, made my way up to Northern California, went to school. I really was inspired. I love the environment. That was was my thing when I was young. I really wanted to be like a forest ranger or something out okay. there in the out there in the woods with the animals doing stuff. And so I went to Humboldt State University yeah. and got my degree in natural resources planning um, because, you know, that was the thing, right? You're going to do that. And uh, that was back in the 80s. And I got out of school and I realized there's no jobs in the environmental stuff. At that time, you know, there was just nothing. And uh, I had just been fortunate. This is going to age myself, but, you know, bear with me. Back then, we were setting up VAXs. It was just barely coming out of the mainframe area in college. And so my skill was because my dad did a lot of computer science stuff in the military. I grew up with like PDP-11s in the garage and stuff like that. And Mm so I was just very hands-on. I was always very mechanical. In college, I was a mechanic, worked in a garage. And so I got out of school. I couldn't find a job. And the professor's like, well, I'll write you a letter of recommendation. But what I'm going to tell him is you're an okay student, but you're great with computers. <laughs> and so I just got lucky that a lot of governments at the time, back in the 80s, computers, believe it or not, were still fairly, you know, coming out of the dumb terminal age, mm-hmm. going into the PC age. And there were a lot of governments hiring people that just like, oh, you know how to, you know how to turn on a computer? Great. Come work for us. And uh, back then, you know, the degree didn't really matter. I don't think I had taken, well, I might have taken like a Pascal course or something, but I didn't really have any traditional knowledge. But I was a hard worker, loved computers, loved technology, loved working with my hands. And so got hired by the government to come start setting up computer labs, um, did a lot of geographic information systems like mapping and things like that for governments. And uh, back in the day, you just, you know, that stuff snowballed. You just went from one job to another and just climbed the ladder. And then one day, voila, there I was. I was a CIO. So what I always tell kids now when I go speak at school, they're like, how do you become a CIO? I'm like, go to Humboldt State and get a degree in natural resources planning. That's my <laughs> advice to everyone. That's the, that's the track to success. That's what everyone should do. No, it's an awesome story. And I think it's a great reminder because I as well get a lot of interaction with students, uh, those who are in state colleges, those that are getting their AA and you know, there are plenty of jobs in tech that doesn't necessarily require a pure technical background. You just have to really be demonstrating that you uh, can adapt, you can learn. So it's a great story. So what would have been the type of job you would have gotten as a resource? Leader? I don't know. You know, this is this is crazy, but um, I'm a bit of an introvert, which makes me perfect for um, computer stuff, right? Because that's what we all are in computers. But um, I really wanted to be in one of those fire towers and just like be reading a book, like a John Steinbeck <laughs> book, and just like looking for fires, you know, and feeding the squirrels and just chilling out there in the middle of the forest. And then, you know, like parachute in and put out a fire or something, you know, like half my life would just be sitting in the tower reading a book that time, jumping out of planes and beating out fires to save, you know, all the furry critters in the woods. So that would have been my ideal job, but it didn't work out that way. Now I've got bad knees, bad back, so it's all good. I, it turned out well. <laughs> Yeah, I think you did. So, so then, what was your first CIO job? Uh, my first CIO job. So, um, climbed the ladder, did a lot of different things. Again, you know, you had to be kind of a generalist. I mean, when you know, when computers were first really getting introduced into government, you had to do a little bit of everything. You had to be the network guy. You had to be the PC support guy. Like, you had to know everything. And so, um, I kind of moved around between jobs, mainly project based. And then I, really fortunate, um, got hired by the city of San Jose. 1999. Mm. 
and uh, I was still young and uh, got hired to do GIS, was setting up a GIS system for them. And then one day my boss came to me and said, uh, hey, um, I'm going on vacation. I need somebody to fill in for me. Do you want to fill in for me? And I was young. I was, you know, driven. I was like, yes, I would love to fill in for you. What can I do for you? He's like, great. I'm, I'm going to go away. There's this thing called Y2K. Can you take care of that for me? I'm gonna, when I get back, you just have that. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I got that. So that was my first kind of gig. He uh, he went off and did his thing. I did the Y2K stuff for the uh, city of San Jose. And then uh, from there, I uh, went and did a little stint with Unisys. And then city of San Francisco was deputy there and then acting CEO there. And now I'm in San Mateo. Yeah. And, and um, did anything happen during Y2K? Uh, no. I mean, it was much ado about nothing. You know, no, the world didn't end. I remember I was mad. We activated the emergency operations system. We were all there waiting for the world to end. My wife was like, hey, we're having a big party at the house. I'm like, great. I'll be home tomorrow. You know, so it was uh, we spent a lot of money and uh, a lot of people made a lot of money during Y2K, but nothing happened. I, I was uh, transitioning out of Wells Fargo into my job at Cisco in the late 90s, 98. And I mean, we Cisco, Wells Fargo and Cisco, we spent a lot of stress over how Y2K, we, we were doing it years in advance, right? We had the oh, money yeah. and uh, this is where now dating both of us, but uh, I had senior developers much older than me who were COBOL assembly language experts. And this was like their time to shine because there just wasn't enough of them right. and they had to fix all those things. So those are, are really, really great stories. So um, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest is John Walton, who's the chief information officer of the county of San Mateo. We're hearing all about his story. Coming up next, we'll be talking about what does a chief information officer do for the county of San Mateo and how this applies to you as citizens. So if you have any questions or comments, email us at info.svn.biz. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Joined with special guest John Walton, who is the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. Welcome back, John. Great to be back. So, John, I think a good question is, what is a chief information officer specifically in terms of serving communities? What do they do? You know, that's a great question, and it has changed a lot, I will just say this, you know, because cause I've been doing this for a while, and I've kind of seen the transition of it. You know, 20 years ago, the role of the CIO, you know, you're always, as as a lower-level person in an IT department working for a CIO, you always viewed them as the most knowledgeable person. Technically, they had the most certificates. They were... You know, they were the person you went to with any of your technical questions or what's the architecture going to be in. And that has changed. And uh, luckily for me, because I used to be really smart about technology and now everybody I hire knows more than me. So um, I've been fortunate to. It's a sign of a good leader. As, as I've gotten older and less smart, the role has changed. So I'm still relevant in some ways. Um, part of it was because of what I call the consumerization of technology, you know. Originally, um, only the super rich or super smart people uh, or organizations could have the technology. Now it's, you know, everywhere around us. Everybody, kids have it. Everything you have is connected. And we saw that transition go through businesses and government where it went from only the really few smart people could have it to anybody would walk in with an iPhone and have more computing power than what was on their desk. And so that really started to transform what the role of a CIO was. And so two things happened for me. 
Uh, one was to humble myself and really realize that people weren't going to come to me for the answer. I really need to start getting out more and talking to the public and talking to the departments about, hey, how are you using these tools? What can I do to help? Not what am I going to tell you to do? You know, we used to fight a lot about standards and chipsets and things. I remember when BlackBerry was the thing. I love BlackBerry. We swore iPhones would never come into our enterprise. We're a BlackBerry shop. Like two years later, everybody had iPhones. You know, And I'm like, oh, okay, now we're an iPhone shop. Um, I still miss the BlackBerry, by the way. I'm still a little sad. I'm still super fast on a BlackBerry. But um, that that has been the big change. There's still a big chunk of my job, the job of any CIO in any organization that's what I call keeping the lights on. You know, you're refreshing technology, updating software. Uh, the thing that keeps all the CIOs awake at night is we all, you know, we're all terrified we're going to get hacked or yeah. ransomware is going to take over. So there's that big piece of your just time is just taken up by what I call the basic blocking and tackling of what CIOs have to do to to keep the organization running like a utility. Uh, that's important. You can't take your eye off that ball. If you stop, you know, if the network's going down or people can't boot up their stuff and work on do their work, it, it becomes an issue. We've gone a lot to the cloud. To CIOs, that's a big thing. But, you know, people never knew where their stuff ran anyhow. So I'll be honest, most people out in the field, they're like, okay, cloud, data center, whatever. So that was more of a cost thing. Uh, for CIOs and a flexibility speed thing for us. I think um, for me, getting out into the public and really starting to understand, uh, for me, again, luckily, it came back to some of the things I did with the environment. You know, as a community, especially in San Mateo County, we care a lot about our community. It's a beautiful county. It's a beautiful area here in the Bay Area. Uh, San Mateo is right in between San Jose and San Francisco. I think it was sort of ironically sort of relatively undiscovered for a while. (laughs) Everybody lived in San Jose and commuted through uh, San Mateo to get up to um, San Francisco. And then one day everybody figured out, wow, this is a beautiful county. There's all these little towns. It's beautiful. There's hills. There's the ocean. And so we want to keep it that way, though. So how do you balance that? This explosive growth, uh, traffic's uh, really a lot bigger than it used to be on 101 and 280. Um, price of housing's going up. And so um, we started really talking about what's the quality of life? How do, we, how do we preserve that? How do we allow growth, get businesses in here, build more homes, uh, make it affordable for everyone? And so a lot of what I do now is thinking about how can technology contribute to that? So we're doing some really cool projects in that area to, to think about um, how to connect people with housing opportunities, uh, working with companies around mobility options to, to try to ease some of the traffic congestion through multimodal transportation options. Uh, we just did a really cool project with Google, where Google, um, to their credit, and, you know, and they're right here in the Bay Area, which is, makes it convenient for us, has this idea around helping uh, organizations see what their uh, carbon footprint impact is. So they have this new thing called the Environmental Insight, Insights Explorer. It's a dashboard you can see on Google. And we were the first county to actually have all of our data up there. So you can wow. see what the impact is for transportation or the solar potential of roofs. We were the reason we got involved was we were doing a big project around air quality around the county trying to see. And so to me, that's really the benefit of technology is seeing what that intersection is between policy and the population and decision making can have on your community. Thanks, John. I wanted to follow up a couple of things. So in terms of Google, is that their own software or they're using a vendor package for that? I believe it's their own software. I mean, they've invested a lot. It's a part of the Google uh, Earth platform. Yeah. And they're just adding layers onto it. Yeah. So for the big technology company that I used to work for, that I talk about all the time, we were trying to do carbon footprint uh, even 11 years ago. We bought a vendor package and we were trying to figure out, because we were pushing a lot of telecommunications um, on video, 
we actually could figure out what the carbon footprint was on an LED or LCD screen when you're when you're in an office and your phones go off at night, right? And so it's great that it still continues on. I think back then it was more of a, I mean, we were doing it for our products, but now that you're hearing about municipalities and how that actually affects down to the to the citizens, that that's um, great to hear. One thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, two things actually. The first thing is you talked about how, and San Mateo is gorgeous, with the whole dot-com and then the whole rise in technology here, I mean, you hear about, I don't know if it's affected San Mateo as much as it's affected um, the South Bay homelessness or functional homelessness where people are living in their RVs and these are people who make uh, great salaries anywhere else in the country. Has that impacted the city and what kind of services uh, as a CI do you have to provide or not provide for those situations? Yeah, I, I think it's starting to. I think to your point, I think, you know, the pressures continue. There's uh, there's always a finite amount of houses and land. And because businesses grow and populations grow, there's always that competition for those resources. And so then the price rises, right, the supply and demand. Um, and I think one of the roles of government is to figure out how to address that problem. And, um, again, I, the interesting thing about uh, San Mateo County, for me, coming from a big city, I worked in San Jose, I worked from San Francisco, which is you really just have a, a very large dominant voice in both those things that kind of dictate the conversation. In San Mateo County, you know, you have 16 to 20 cities within the county. So it's really a coalition of governments that has to figure out the solution to this problem. Uh, we're doing a lot of housing. But really the interesting thing when you think about the impacts of society is – um, there's a real correlation between business and housing and transportation. Everyone, you know, is commuting from the Central Valley now to do the service jobs uh, for the high-tech yeah. businesses and things like that. So how do you move housing closer? If you can move housing closer uh, for more of the service industry people, then that eases transportation congestion. So do you build more roads, wider roads, or do you just build more housing so people have to travel? And then the big thing we do in technology is how do you match people? And so that's always been a challenge in government is – if you have multiple agencies all doing their own housing programs, you as a, as a person looking for something in an area, how do you find it? The old way was you had to go to an office and get a printout and go through it like the old, you know, Thomas Guide maps and try to figure out where this was and then go fill out a paper form. So, again, you know, we're keeping the lights on for the workers, but then we're also putting a lot of stuff online, uh, creating the applications online, correlating all these different agencies, databases, so that you can just, you know, do one search and it searches multiple places to help you find things. Uh, we're doing a lot of public Wi-Fi because a lot of people don't have unlimited data plans. We have over a million user hours a month on our public Wi-Fi system because as we push things out there, you also have to provide the connectivity and the solution on the back end. And we think by bridging all those gaps, we're going to be able to address those problems in the future. And I'm just curious because I do deals and I don't know how the county is set up, but when you are doing that many uh, bandwidth in terms of public Wi-Fi, uh, how does that affect your cost? Uh, you know, we view public Wi-Fi, and we talked a lot about this in and I've done two or three different public Wi-Fi projects, if you will, in, in my uh, career for big cities. Um, we've taken the approach in San Mateo County, public Wi-Fi is like public education or public roads. Um, if you're going to be a thriving community, the internet and the information on the internet is a critical asset for your for your citizens to have. And so we've uh, partnered with Ruckus, with Aruba, with all these different yeah. companies to try to figure out affordable ways to do that. And it's been really successful. Well, John, thanks. We're at the close of this segment, but I don't want you to go away because we're going to come back and talk about 
um, some of your passion projects and other projects that the county is working on. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. If you have any questions about today's show, you can email us at info at svn.biz or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer at the County of San Mateo. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk about the Iowa caucus. Cyber security is not always about getting hacked. Sometimes you kind of do it to yourselves. So I've been getting a lot of questions on what happened with the Iowa caucus. So if you've heard, there was a delay in counting the votes for the Democratic nominees. And when we found out later, it was due to a mobile phone app. So an app used for your iPhone or your Android device. Allegedly, the company's name is Shadow. They actually did put out a response that they're sorry if they were involved with the, um, I won't call it miscounting because nobody said the counting was wrong. They're saying that the app caused delays in reporting. And so what that means is this app collects data. You have to, to my understanding, you have to sign up. The precinct managers had to register and then they're responsible for updating the vote counts manually into the app and the app collects all the data and then tells you exactly what it is. Due to some infrastructure problems, it was not updating correctly. There was allegedly some miscounts. That's why I'm being very careful not to say that that actually did happen. So uh, by the time the company figured it out and everyone involved, uh, they got actual numbers. Now, the story here is uh, this app had just been put into production right before usage. You should always test out your apps. Also, because the app got so much visibility, a security firm decided to audit the app and said that not only did it not report well, it actually had lots of holes in security systems. So even though there's no evidence of cybersecurity hacking, conceivably it could have had the results altered. So as always, when we talk about cybersecurity, don't always expect it to be a data breach in terms of a hacking attempt. Um, you are responsible for the software you produce for your apps or the software you're using in your environment. So always be sure where it's coming from and that it's been tested. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. Welcome back, John. Great to be here. So throughout the show, we Talked about John's background, what the responsibilities are as CIO for one of the counties here in Silicon Valley. Uh, but I wanted to go back to your background. You majored in environmental science and resource planning. Um, you, we talked about how, just like today, sometimes you don't end up in the career you studied for, but you do get a technology job. But your passion around the environment, how does that affect you in your day-to-day role in your life now? Yeah, I appreciate you you bringing it back to that because it really is my passion. It's the thing I really probably care the most about. And uh, I'm just so happy that I'm finally finding ways to kind of bring those th- two things back together. Uh, the thing about um, where I see us now uh, as a county and, and, you know, probably I could extrapolate that to say as a country and as a world is 
I think the challenge is so large around the environment that no one's going to solve it by themselves. I was just talking to someone the other day and they're asking me, well, I want to make a difference. So I'm not going to use plastics this year. I'm like, that's great. You know, it's a really great step, but you know, all those little things add up, but at the same time, we're going to need companies and huge communities and, and the government to work together to solve some of these problems. I think, you know, you can believe in global warming or not in global warming, but I think we all see the impact of, you know, um, fires, wildfires and mm-hmm. things like that. And so I think, I think we're all thinking about, I have a good friend from Australia and, you know, he's had, uh, had to go through that whole hor- horrific thing over there in Australia with the brush fires. And so, um, because I am interested in the environment and that's one of the things. And then, uh, coincidentally, I have a son who's very asthmatic, a young mm. son. And when I started going through that process, the environment's a big part of that, right? The, the pollen counts or pollution and things, he really reacts to that. And as, as a parent, I could tell, and I started connecting with other parents that had the same concerns, but then it sort of has a societal impact. If it's a bad air day, you don't want to send your kid to school because you're not sure. So you have his inhaler with him. You're not being productive at work because you're picking up the phone every right. five minutes, check-in and, and things like that. And so um, a couple of years ago, the big fires were up north and in, in the north and that smoke plume went offshore and then came on shore mm-hmm. to San Mateo County. And, and the government had to respond. People were calling us. Do I need to get a mask? We were shutting down schools. People were afraid because it looked really bad. Um, but then we started asking questions because I'm a scientist. I'm like, well, what is the air quality? And so then people would say, well, uh, it's a bad air day. And I'd say, well, how do we know that? And it turned out we only had one air sensor in the entire county, 580 square miles. And if you know my county, you know, we got what we call the bay side where the air quality sensor was in Redwood City. Then we got the coast side. You got a range of hills. You got the ocean. And I was like, well, I, don't, I appreciate that we're being cautious here. But just because the air quality is bad in this one city, does that mean it's bad for the whole county? It doesn't seem like we're doing really our due diligence and communicating with, you know, our citizens and making good decisions. And so that really kicked off the project for us. We started this big air quality. We engaged with uh, several different companies to bring in sensors. We had mobile-based sensors mm-hmm. where they were driving around collecting. We did a lot of fixed sensors because we have a lot of facilities around the county. So we were able to put fixed sensors on them. And then we asked the community to start contributing data as well. Like, tell us what you think of the data. Do you have, you know, can can you contribute data or either anecdotally or scientific data? Sort of like I, I compare it to, I know the CIO from uh, the Weather Channel. <laughs> we shared a ride one time and he was talking about, you know, you got the weather geeks, like have the weather stations in their backyard and they want to contribute. So like we we're trying to find ways to meld all those things together. And then we started approaching the analytics firms about, okay, well, we can see sort of historically what the air quality is and we can interpolate between points, but can we do predictive analysis? Mm -hmm. Can we say, just like in weather, okay, the air quality is this today or at this minute, but this afternoon when your child's at school because of the airflow pattern, you know, maybe you should pick them up by noon instead of two o'clock or something. So we started experimenting with that. We haven't released any of that yet, but that was really kind of the nexus where we got into air quality and then we made contact with the folks at Google because they were doing things around solar potentiality and transportation impacts on the environment. So I'm really starting to see those things come together now. I see a lot of passion in both the community, uh, in the big in the big corporations we work with. You know, there's a lot of social give back programs. Mm-hmm. I think people want to make a difference. I think Everybody wants to have a good house and good jobs, but at the same time, I think we all want to preserve the environment we live in and leave that legacy to our kids and our grandkids. And so uh, I'm just really encouraged to see so much energy being put into that, as well as replacing the PCs and doing things like that. So here's a question I just thought of, because uh, I don't know. I know from corporate, but I don't know from local government. Uh, what is usually technology spent as a percentage of the budget? 
Oh, usually around 3%. It's okay. really pretty low. And that was that was one of our challenges, to be honest with you. In government, of that 3% of the total budget, 100% is always just replace, uh, for replacing yeah. PCs. So, I, again, San Mateo County being kind of forward-looking from the elected officials and legislators there, we set up a, a small, what we call SMC Labs, San Mateo County Labs, which was just a small dedicated staff and budget to say, look, you don't have to do any of that, and that kind of boring stuff. You don't have to do the phones. You don't have to... Your job is just go out and meet with the community, brainstorm, meet with startup companies, meet with big corporations. What can we be doing as a government to be innovative and forward-looking to try to get ahead of the curve on some of these things? And that's been a real big success for us. That's good. Yeah, so just so people are interested, I corporate generally, you know, it could go from 2 to 4%. There was a big kick from some of the very large technology companies a few years back trying to get to 1% of revenue for ex- technology expenses, and that didn't work out so well for many of those companies who don't exist anymore or don't, aren't who they were at the time, like through divestitures and all that. So it's interesting that uh, local governments is following almost a similar model. I know when it comes to cloud computing companies or SaaS companies, um, their technology spend can go into the 10% range, but that's because their product is the technology is their product. And so therefore it's a lot of it's R and D expense. What are some of the projects that the County is working on right now that are, that are cool to talk about? Uh, you know, we've, we've done a lot of neat stuff recently. Um, we're doing uh, a lot of things around uh, better connecting our staff in the fields. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all heard about body worn cams. That's a big thing, you know, trying to kind of build that public trust. You know, I think uh, we all know we need public safety, but, you know, because of the world we live in, people have this concern about, you know, are people behaving appropriately? So I think body-worn cams is one way to rebuild that public trust where people feel like it's safe. But for me, what a cool spin off of that was there's a very traditional way to do that if you're familiar with public safety at all. Yeah. It's sort of the harness. It looks sort of like yeah. a very spaceship type thing. And then we had Samsung approach us and they said, well, why don't you just use the the phone? They're like, we have this whole idea that you can just have a mobile phone for the police officers that they'll use in the regular course of business, making calls and doing work. But then they can just snap it onto their uniform and that's their body warm can. So that's to me like, that's that cool intersection between sort of that consumerization where you have just like a consumer tool that you're used to doing one thing and then a whole separate other tool to do your job. And then they come together and they do the same thing. I guess the only difference is from a process and poly standpoint, how do you, how do you ensure that in the heat of the moment they're going to remember to clip it in? Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, that's part of the process, right? You got to remember. I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you remember anything? I mean, I think it's the training and the the muscle memory. I think those are all important parts of it. But I think that's, really where uh, as we advance in technology, these are tools that can be adopted to really um, help the experience overall. What's the county's position on facial recognition? Because you're hearing so much about San Francisco and Oakland, you know, doing outright bans. We don't have an official policy on it, but I will say we're not opposed to it. We know a lot of companies in the county use it. We're looking at it from an experimental standpoint. You know, we're talking with some companies about how that could provide better service. You know, it's one thing. I mean, in government, you got to remember, there's still a big portion of our process that is very face-to-face transactional. Unfortunately, we haven't modernized to the point. And to be frank with you, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to do things online. So they're going to come into a city hall and do things like that. Um, from a public safety standpoint, we want to think about it from crowds and facial recognition and, you know, terrorism attacks. And so we have three airports, actually. San Francisco International is actually in our county. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a lot of concerns around that and keeping those things safe and in large sporting events. But also just from a customer service standpoint, if you walk up to one of our service counters, wouldn't it be nice if we like we were ready for you yeah. instead of like 
please fill out this form with who you are and blah, blah, blah. Because you're going to have to provide all that information anyhow. It's not like we can provide you the service without a means of identification. We're studying what's going on in China with facial recognition. I think that's probably the other, you know, your face is your currency. I don't know if we're going to be there anytime soon. But I will say uh, San Mateo County is very receptive to, let's be thoughtful. The same thing happened uh, a few years ago when we were talking about drones. There were some governments that were sort of very, cities and kinds that were very sort of anti-drone, like let's just shut them down. We're very open to it. We talked to several companies about how can that provide better service and what can we do and how can we send some and manage that. So that that brings up a good point. So um, just so I know, is SFO within your is San Francisco International? Is that within your jurisdiction? It is. It's within our county. They pay us a lot of rent. We love having them there. Okay, and in terms of the way that the systems integrate, you're responsible for. We are not responsible for operations. We are pu- responsible for public safety. Got it. So then here here's the you know the elephant in the room with all the news of the coronavirus and San Francisco being one of the most major airports, gateway to uh, folks that could potentially be carriers. Um, where is, in terms of what you have to do for public safety, where's the relationship there? What do you we, have, we have a great relationship with San Francisco. As a matter of fact, uh, their jail, San Bruno Jail, is in my county as well. Um, so we love, we, 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 kind of, we kind of view them as our sister city to the north. Um, you know, the coronavirus is a great example. There's a lot of public concern about that, and there's a lot of data. But, you know, we're working closely with San Francisco, with the airport, with the health department. There's updates. There's conversations every day. Um, I think we're prepared uh, to address the public. We're very proactive in dealing with the public, and uh, I think we'll take care of it. Yep. Well, John Walton, Chief Information Officer of the County San Mateo, thanks for being on the show today. You're a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we look forward to having you back. Thanks so much for having me. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, again with John Walton, CIO, County of San Mateo. Any questions or comments about what we talked about today, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Don't go away because now we're going to go to the pivot in the next segment and John will still be in studio. So we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, joined with John Walton, who's the Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. Earlier in the show, which you should download if you missed it, we talked about John's background, what his responsibilities are for leading technology for the County of San Mateo. And now on the pivot, we're going to go in a little bit different direction. John, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. So you would assume that because you're the Chief Information Officer for a county in Silicon Valley that you'd be all into what's the latest and greatest future technology, how that's going to totally run our lives, be, you know, get uh, biohacked with chips in our brain and our hands. But I think you have a little bit different take. You, you think people should, should uh, have a balanced life. That's the way I'll put it. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, um, maybe there's sort of the yin and yang side of me, how I view things. I loved, I, and I love technology. And, uh, you know, I tell the story where, I grew up with computers. I built computers. I was into gaming. I'm still into gaming. You know, my sons, I have two sons. We game with each other every weekend. So I love computers. I love them for their convenience. I love my cell phone. Uh, I love being connected with people. At the same time, um, there's a side of me that loves the non-computer world. So when people ask me what my hobbies are, uh, 
I race cars. And so uh, I build cars. I was an auto mechanic. I grew up with a dad that was a stock car racer for a hobby. So I grew up in the South was, you know, just around cars and I love cars and I always have. And for me, that sort of very analog experience. And I've, and I've tried to, you know, one of my sons is very into it. The other one, not so much, <laughs> but I've tried to like instill that in my sons. Like there's a real satisfaction in life to doing things with your hands and just being connected to something that does has nothing to do with a machine doing it for your computer. And, you know, I'll play games and I'll, I've played around with VR rigs and stuff like that. But I, I do compare that because people ask me, they're like, well, wouldn't you just rather have an Oculus Rift and drive the <laughs> Nuremberg ring? I'm like, no, I'd rather be in my 89 GT Ford Mustang Cobra on Laguna Seca driving myself. And they're like, but why? I'm like, because it's just, you don't understand. I mean, I've done the gaming and computers are fun. They're entertaining, but there's just something focusing and visceral and human about connecting with something and just doing something all on your own without any electronic aids, without any nannies to save you and to just be in the moment. And that's what I tell everybody. I mean, there's nothing more focusing where, you know, there's no safety net. There's no technology that's going to step in. There's no rewind button. There's no, you just, it's all up to you. Yeah. Yeah. There's no redos and, you know, no, turn the damage off. That doesn't happen. You know? So I just love that part of it. I love the parts of life and it, and my future is there will all technology will always be a part of my future, but there's always going to be a big part of me that's doesn't include technology. And here's the thing, and I love that that's your story because, and I think it's really refreshing. Um, I've been around technology for close to 30 years, uh, even me as starting you know kid as well, very similar story to yours. And I think uh, what we found with the rise of specifically of smart devices, I mean, we've had technology around, but specifically in the last decade or so, uh, we're losing the ability to relate to each other because we're just so tied into our phones, and I'm guilty of that. But the you know being plugged into something analog, like for you, cars or an instrument or some other activity, or just picking up a book. What was great was they said that last year there were more library visits than there were movie tickets sold. That's great. Yeah. So, so I think it's a good message to hear because I think here, especially Silicon Valley, kind of the nexus of technology, we're all running fast. We talked earlier about how there's engineers who live in RVs because they can't I mean, they make good money, but they just can't afford to live here. I think the the thought or the hope that there's something beyond technology is encouraging. Yeah, I think that to me, I guess I am an optimist, right? And I, I still have this hope that, you know, the dream of technology is to make our lives better. The dream of technology wasn't to have more technology or be more immersed in technology. The, for me, the original dream of technology was it would be so good that I have more free time to do things I wanted to do, not to spend more and more of my time with the technology as if it were an extension of my life. Because to me, that stresses me out. So I have two sons, you know, I try to balance. They, they grew up in the, you know, my two-year-old knew how to use an iPad before he could walk, right? Because <laughs> um, I'm that parent. I'm sorry. I mean, I just, you know, I know there's parents that are better than me and my kids don't have, I have like five devices per person in my house where you can't go to a room without a device. But at the same time, my youngest plays the ukulele because I'm like, you need to, you know, you need to connect. My other one's really into Legos, which is a very tactile, you know, thing where he designs his own sets and stuff like that. And so I appreciate that about trying to find that balance in life and technology should be additive and benefit you in ways that are non-technological. And so I think that's really the challenge. So with just the last couple of minutes, what is your advice for people to unplug? I mean, for people who don't know how to do this, and, and I can talk to a lot of millennials and zennials who really don't know how to unplug, but you're a father. What's your advice to get them to do that? Just, just explore. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think we try to force ourselves to unplug and maybe that works for some people. Some people can go t- cold turkey. I can't. 
I'm a stress case. I mean, in my job, I'm 24 by seven. My phone's always on. Something's always breaking. I want to jump on it right away. But I do think, you know, when I go to Hawaii and I go diving, I, you know, I, I discipline myself. I look at my phone from five to 6 a.m. before my family's awake. Then I turn it off and I put it away. And people say, how can I get hold of you? I'm like, you get on a plane, you fly to Hawaii. And I may be on that beach over there somewhere you can look for me. I might be in the water. And I think we just have to become disciplined like everything in our lives. I think there's a time and a place for everything. And I think we need to treat technology the same way. Sometimes it's our life. Sometimes it's additive to our lives because it's helping us do things or make things better. But I think we also have to put it in its place. It's like anything. Too much is not a good thing of anything. And I think there's sometimes you just have to find something, whether it's hiking or music or reading a book, just take a minute. It can be 30 seconds. It can, you know, you can, it's like training anything, you know, start small and grow, find time for yourself though, and be quiet. Well, John, I think that's great advice. I hope the people listening really take it to heart because you can unplug. And I, once again, thank you for being here. So Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with John Walton, Chief Information Officer of the County of San Mateo. As always, find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, or email us at info.svay.biz, and we'll see you next week. Great. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program, or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.